is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, my name is Jason. And my name is Chris. And this is The Talking Dead, episode 148 for Wednesday, February 26, 2014. Happy birthday to me. Also known as your birthday. Yes. That's fun. I think we've recorded on your birthday a couple of times in the last five years. No. Yeah, the whole the whole crazy holiday thing started because one day I wished you a happy birthday. I don't know when, like a long time ago. Wow. That's fantastic. You know, and I don't know, I don't think we've ever recorded on my birthday because typically it's on a, well, for a There's while now. Typically. Well, it, it moves by a day every year. Yeah, there's 14 possible calendars, so your birthday can fall on uh, any of seven possible days. Okay, well, it, <laughs> but it, but it, what it does is it, it moves by a day every year, then it'll skip a day for some yeah. reason because of leap years or something. Leap year, yeah, right. So I have, I can remember birthdays in the last few years being on like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, things like that. So I wonder if we skipped a Monday or something, and I just haven't had a podcast birthday yet. Wow. Well, when we're doing this for uh, 14, 15 years, you'll have every possibility. <laughs> That's right. Everything will have happened by then. <laughs> That's right. All right. Cool. Well, happy birthday, Jason. If well, I uh, if I was in the same room as you, I'd shake your hand. Well, that's uh, that's lov- lovely, lovely, lovely for you to wish me a happy birthday, and I would uh, I would reciprocate the uh, handshake. Very good, because it'd be weird if you didn't. I'd just be shaking my <laughs> hand in air and psych. That'd be, that'd be that'd be strange. It would. Okay. Why don't we start this podcast by playing another entry in our Record Your Favorite Scene contest? Oh, goody, goody. This one comes from Trevor in North Carolina. We was always looking for food. You know, it always came down to food. And I was was checking out a cellar, and I didn't want Dwayne to come down there with me. Then when I came up, she was standing there right in front of him, and... He had his gun up, but he couldn't do it. So I called to him, and he turned, and she was just on him. And I see red. I see red. Everything is red. Everything I see is red, and and, and I do it, finally. Finally, it was too late. I was supposed to. I was selfish. I was weak. You gave me the gun. There's Crazy Morgan. That was awesome. Talking to Rick about uh, what happened to his wife and Dwayne. That was a that was a good callback from uh, season one. That was awesome. No, that wasn't season. No, it's one. season. That was season three. You're right. That was from Clear. I yeah. I believe. Yeah, he was because uh, he's telling because we don't know what happened to them yet. And then uh, he says he's talking to Rick, and he means you gave me the gun, basically right, that, right, right. that that we used. So, thank you very much, Trevor. Um, send in your entries. I know I've had a few people send in emails and say, I'm, I'm going to send you an entry. I'm just getting around to recording it or I'm still choosing the scene or something like that. So it's exciting to have more coming and we've got a few banked up here. So we should be able to play one every episode. It's awesome. That, that is excellent. That is most, most excellent. Most excellent. All right, Jason, let's get right into some holy craps and feedback, which is what we're here to do. Sure, sure. Holy crap. Did you see that? All righty. Am I doing the first one? Mm-hmm. We should pl- we should talk before we start and, and plan this out, but we don't. Uh, 
I got it planned out. I just <laughs> haven't told you. Right. You go ahead and start. This comes is an email, and it comes from Catherine on the internet. She says, my holy crap moment was when one of the random thugs kills the other over a bed. Seriously, that was just the first of many moments that left me asking, how have these people survived so long? They were comically reckless. And I like that. I like the phrase comically reckless. Yeah. You know, well, to that, be... That's what... Sorry, go ahead. To be reckless to the point of comedy. <laughs> that's right. That's why uh, one of my favorite phrases is uh, ad nauseum. It's just Latin for until it makes you sick. Do something until <laughs> you are sick. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, be, do, uh, doing something ad nauseum is somewhat comically reckless. It could be, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, this is why I think that they're basically wild dogs, because my cats will do exactly this thing, get into a fight over a uh, sleeping spot. And they, they do this on a regular basis. Well, people had a fair bit to say about this group of, of wild dogs that we'll get into a little bit more when we do some more feedback. Right. Okay, so we have an email from Nick in Florida. Howdy, fellas. My holy crap, did you see that for claimed? Has got to be when Dr. Eugene Porter has the balls to say, I'm smarter than you, to Sergeant Abraham Ford, mere seconds after shooting the group's truck and disabling it. Real smart move there, Doc. <laughs> What's up, Doc? Nice <laughs> job on the truck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, in our last podcast, I was talking about how, excuse me, how um, Abraham's introduction of those two reminded me of Anchorman. Right. And I don't know if you realize this, but after uh, we recorded that, I inserted the two clips there so you could hear the similarities, or at least what I think are similarities. Oh, awesome. No, and, I hadn't uh, listened back. And uh, nobody wrote in to uh, tell me that either I'm crazy or, oh my God, I'll never hear anything. You know, I'll never be able to hear that again without thinking of Brian Fantana. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyhow. All right, we got a call, and it comes from Jamal in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. This is Jamal from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. My holy crap, did you see that moment? Is when Rick was checking out Michonne's ass as she was walking out. She was looking real good with that t-shirt tied up. Thank you, Jamal. I think it qualifies. Well, holy crap, did you see that ass? (laughs) That's right. That's awesome. Yep. All right, so we have a call from uh, Jennifer in Illinois. Hi, this is Jennifer in Illinois. My holy crap, did you see that moment was... Holy crap, there's a guy about to take a crap. For some reason, this really caught me by surprise, even given the number of horror movie tropes that were in this episode. I just didn't expect to see anybody sitting there. Uh, But then what really sold it to me and made the uh, moment, a capital M moment, was when Rick got the machine gun away from him. All I could think of was, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the podcast. Keep up the good work. So that was Rick's diehard moment. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> he, that's, that's really good. He, uh, so remind me in Die Hard. First, he doesn't have shoes for a while, right? That, yeah, that's because he uh, he just landed in L.A. and got to the Nakatomi Plaza and uh, is uh, taking himself a nice horse bath, getting cleaned up, and he took <laughs> off his socks and shoes. And uh, all hell breaks loose, and he just has to do without. That is sort of offensive. <laughs> what the horse bath come on well, who am i offending horse i i yeah i guess so <laughs> all right <laughs> sorry uh that's fine i'll i'll allow it um yeah in Die Hard, he doesn't have shoes and then yep. he gets shoes and then he doesn't have a machine gun and he gets a machine gun and then he saves the world 
Well, yeah, he also doesn't have a bomb, and he gets a bomb, and he doesn't have... Uh, yeah, he just acquires what he needs. You know what's weird? When I think of Die Hard, and this is really... It's kind of upsetting me. When I think of Die Hard, for some reason I think of... Uh, I think the second Die Hard. What, the one at the airport? The one at the airport, yeah. Yeah, That okay, so that's the second one, yes. But isn't it considered inferior? Um, They're different movies. Okay. The first three diehards are all slightly different style, but uh, they're all good. I like them all. It's it's uh, the first one is a like big apartment building or office well, tower. It's an office tower, yeah. Second one is airport. Yes. Third one is New York City. New York City. Fourth yeah. one, uh, that is the one with uh, Hi, I'm a Mac. What's his name? Justin Long. Okay. And it's a fire sale. They uh, somebody is shutting. Oh, sorry, Timothy Oliphant is shutting down all of the uh, services and utilities in the states, and all hell breaks loose. Okay, is that the one with Kevin Smith too? Kevin, or is Smith? he in yes, the next it is, one? It is. It is the one with Kevin Smith. Okay, and then there's another one after that. Yes, and that one is uh, takes place in Russia. Oh yeah, right. So he goes to visit his son in. No, no, he goes to Russia for some reason and runs into his son, which he didn't know was there. Sorry, spoiler alert. And then <laughs> all hell breaks loose. Right after uh, the spoiler, every time. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it happens in the first five minutes of the movie. So okay, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, now that we've run through the die history of Die Hard, <laughs> and they're all Christmas movies. Yeah, I know. That's fine. Well, okay. at least the first three are. The, uh, the, th- the, the third one takes place in New York City in the summer, but they mention Christmas once. Oh, well, that uh, like Christmas theme something, so that's good enough for me. The streak is alive, baby. Yeah. All right, who's up next? Me? Uh, yeah. This is from Arthur in Brookfield, Connecticut, voted number one small town in Connecticut and number 26 in the U.S. Nice. Arthur says, you stated that you did not believe we would ever see the pack of wild dog guys again. I think you were incorrect. My holy crap moment is, holy crap, did you see Jeff Kober playing the guy on the porch? Jeff Kober is famous for playing bad guys. I do not think that the show would have used him and barely shown his face for a non-recurring role. Watch out, they are coming back. And uh, he also says the bathroom buddy was not taking a crap. The lid was down. Instead, he was removing his boots to take a shower. That's my take anyway. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, okay, so five minutes later, he wouldn't have been taking a crap. He would have been in the shower. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Rick could have snuck in there, and he never would have known. Well, that's true. But if they would have gotten to a fight, this guy would have been soapy and slippery rather than uh, covered in poop. <laughs> Yes, he would have. You don't want to fight a naked man covered in soap. You no, really... and it's very would be very difficult to do that. You because can't. They'd be very slippery. You just can't grab a hold of them. That's right. Yeah, you just can't get a hold of them. All right, so let's talk about this a little bit. A lot of people wrote in that that guy, a tennis ball guy who was sitting on the porch, was played by Jeff Kober, and friend of the show Dave also pointed this out to me. And he's a known actor. He's been in a million things. He's been acting for a long time. So is there any uh is there any weight to the idea that they wouldn't cast a known actor in a role that was sort of throwaway and meaningless and therefore we can assume that at least that character and maybe more of the wild dogs are coming back. Yes. And no. <laughs> well, I I think 
I think I recognize that guy. I'm just trying to look him up on IMDb right now just to see where I know him from. But the guy on the porch, I thought for a fleeting moment that I recognized that guy because uh, obviously he's a that guy actor. Yeah. Um, but uh, if I do recognize him, then... Okay, so a semi-known actor that usually plays bad guys, uh, I agree that they will probably end up bringing him back. But my double take on on that guy was, hey, I think I recognize him, and then I got a closer look. And it's like, no, I don't recognize him, and so I moved on in my head. Right. But if he is a semi well known uh, that guy actor, then uh, then he'll be back. Okay. Well, the other thing is, um, uh, one of our listeners, Peter in Chicago, also pointed out that the guy who was choked out on the floor was played by Davy J. And if you look him up, his character name was Tony. Apparently, if you look him up. He's credited on IMDb for four more episodes, number 12, 13, oh. 15, and 16. Well, now, there's that then, I guess. Yeah, but a couple oh, of things. I know that guy. Okay, so my double take was correct and wrong. I thought I recognized him, and then I dismissed him, and now I definitely recognize him. And, uh, yeah, he's going to be back. You talking about Jeff Kober or David? Yeah, Jay? Jeff Kober, yeah. Yeah. Um, but Davy J, you know, he's been in Prison Break, eight episodes, 21 episodes of Treme, so he's been around two. So we now have two of those guys. That basically, the two that we saw are are known actors. Yeah. So, sort of the case I think is getting a little bit stronger that we will in fact see these guys again. Um, the the curious thing is, you know, Davy J is far less recognizable than Jeff Kober, I think, and he's the one that has four more episodes listed. Jeff Kober does not, right. which could just be a technique for trying not to give anything away yeah um but i i'm sort of i've come around to the side now where i think we probably will see them again who knows how it will really play out but i think people have a good point you know if they're gonna have these actors in there it would be weird to hire them for such throwaway roles now having said that if you remember way back in season one do you remember the zombie that rick killed in the tank in the first episode yes i do that guy was a known actor, too. And there were big plans, if you recall, that Frank Darabont had for writing and, and shooting a story around that guy. Yeah. Now, I realize there are extenuating circumstances there involving a showrunner change and so on, and that all got scrapped. But um, it, it does go to show that there could be you know, an, an actual actor cast that doesn't go anywhere. The other example is the two guys that Rick killed in the bar in season two. One of them, I forget his name now, but one of them is from True Blood, and he's an actor as well, but he showed up in one episode and then got blown away. So, yeah. again, he was shown being killed on screen, so you know he's not coming back. But I'm just, I just don't think we can say, absolutely, these are known actors. It means they're going to be on the show for a while, um, even though it's probably a good indicator. Yeah, I've been, uh, I've been won over by Arthur. And uh, that argument, I, uh, I, I now believe that uh, these guys will be back. Okay. And probably sooner than later, I would think. Probably sooner than later. All right, I have a holy crap moment this time. All right, bring it on. When I was going through the episode one more time, just looking for some things, I noticed that when Michonne went into the pink room full of dead bodies, yeah. one of the bodies on the bed had a comic book on its chest, I guess was... He or she was reading the comic book when they were killed, and it's a super dinosaur comic book, which is written by Robert Kirkman, published by oh, Image Comics. No. Oh no, we have that's a 
That's a continuity uh, paradox, and uh, now the universe is going to implode. Yeah, what that means is Robert Kirkman exists in the universe that he created. Yeah. That means he's God. Well, uh, yes, he is. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that. He exists in his own universe. Uh, you know, Stephen King has done that with uh, various projects, but uh, this, this, yeah, he now he's within the own, in the universe that he created. So, yeah, we're gonna get uh, we're gonna get an implosion. Yeah, um, Carl has also worn what is it, science dog t shirt near the beginning of the uh, of the series. Right. I don't know if Kirkman invented that though. So I don't know if that totally indicates that he exists in the universe, but having Super Dinosaur there definitely does. All right. So if we, uh, if we'll watch bookshelves and see if we have uh, some of the Walking Dead, you know, trade paperbacks or books on the shelves. If we encounter that, then uh, then you know I'll, we're all I'll doomed. What's going to happen? Yeah. Right. All right. Thanks, everybody. We're going to go and do our listener feedback now. Listener feedback. All right, so we have an email from Andy in rainy England. Andy's email is regarding the previous episode, Inmates. In regards to your comments about uh, maybe Lizzie just panicking a bit and didn't know what she was doing when she put her hand over Judith's, Judith's mouth and nose, I saw that as her having no value on Judith's life. If they were standing near a cliff, I think she would have just lobbed her over the edge without a second thought. Yeah. But the but, but the most worrying thing was the combination of curiosity and exhilaration in her eyes. I really hope they give this particular story a real slow burn approach. Perfect season five finale fodder. And I only give and only give us a glimpse of her uh, descent into crazy town here and there for the time being. That would be all right, but I'm pretty sure Lizzie's storyline is going to be wrapped up by the end of season four. Yeah, but, you uh, know, I agree with you. She's young and... Uh, I mean, I, I mean that doesn't really mean anything. It just means that I was just going to say they could drag it out for a long time, right? And just throw little bits in here and there of her doing weird, unsettling things like smothering babies or throwing them off cliffs, right? And you know, it would it would slowly unravel her complete basket of crazy town craziness. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so who knows? All right, we got a call from Luke on the Gold Coast of Australia. Hi guys, this is Luke from Gold Coast Australia. I just had a thought after watching the first few episodes of the back half of season four. Uh, now we know while they were at the prison there was a council, a group of intelligent people who would get together and discuss the well-being of the group. Um, I find it really hard to believe that at no point during any of their meetings uh, was there a discussion about an emergency evacuation meeting point if anything went wrong uh, with their new safe haven. Uh, we've already seen this before at the farm, uh, when uh, everything went to hell. They all thankfully managed to meet up on the highway. They all had the same idea. Now I know that if people made these intelligent decisions, then we wouldn't have a show to watch, but I would love someone to just throw in uh, this idea when they find somewhere safe uh, and get together again, whether it's at... Um, terminus or, or wherever they end up but I would love someone to throw in the line right let's decide on a place to meet if everything goes tits up anyway guys I uh, just thought I'd uh, try out your fancy new voicemail button uh, thanks for a great podcast loving the season uh, so far catch you guys next time bye thank you Luke and did everyone hear how quality Luke sounded <laughs> he sounded very quality 
much better than the uh, crappy phone line, actual phone line. Yeah, that was crisp and clean and clear, and you could hear a pin drop. Absolutely. Uh, what do you think about his suggestion, though, of having a meeting point? I think that's an excellent suggestion, <laughs> and I'm a little surprised as well that they don't have one. Uh, that seems kind of... Uh, they, they they really dropped the ball on that, I think. And, you know, they don't even have to, to mention it in the show. They just It just has to be a thing, right? Where right. They, they get separated, the prison is gone, and at that point they can reveal to us that oh they do have a meeting point that's where they're they're going to go and they're going to reconnect um but i guess they never thought about that even though though they were you know through a uh, a farm that got attacked and they had to leave i guess they just felt so comfortable at the prison yeah does uh, does your family have a meeting place uh, around if there's a a problem like a fire in your house or something no should you uh, designate a meeting place? Well, I'm going to now. <laughs> <laughs> we used to have one at work. Remember when we worked together and I was the fire marshal? Yes. That was awesome. We had a meeting place. We knew exactly where to meet. Where was and it? I, I don't remember. It, it was up back in the, in the little parkette. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here, this giant building's on fire. Let's go stand amongst the trees behind it. <laughs> exactly. And have a smoke. Oh, I used yeah. to smoke back then, and those were good times. Back in the day. <laughs> yeah, I'd go out there with a friend of the show, Dave, and we'd uh, smoke up a storm. Yeah. Along with other various coworkers and such. That was a, a lot of fun. I miss smoking. You remember that guy who walked <sighs> into the building wearing a, a full-length, like, neck-to-ankle fur coat? No. Oh, man. I We saw him a few times. You do not see a man, a grown man, wearing a full-length fur coat, like a fur you, trench coat very often. You sure it wasn't a bear? <laughs> There's this bear that would come to work there every day. Uh, <laughs> Standing up, walking in, yeah. ordering a coffee. No. Craziest thing you ever saw. <laughs> it was, but this was a dude, full-length fur trench coat. It's It was glorious, if that's your thing. Anyway, so my recommendation is that everybody have an evacuation plan and a meeting point uh, just in case uh, something happens. Good advice. Yeah. All right, so we have an email from Michael in Heacham, Norfolk, UK. I couldn't help but laugh at you guys, laughing at the hitchhikers. Could uh, could uh, Sorry, blah. I couldn't help but laugh at you guys, laughing at the hitchhikers could be escaping inmates sign on a previous episode of The Walking Dead. Here in Norfolk, England... We have an equally scary road sign. Please find attached photo of a sign warning drivers of baby ducks crossing the road. And I don't think you can see the photo right now, Jason, but I can see it. And clearly nobody in the audience can see it. But it is kind of funny. It's a triangular sign that looks like a yield sign in Canada. But in the middle, uh, it's white with a red outline. And in the middle, there's a little duck. (laughs) You know what? What? If I saw a sign like that, I'd slow right down. That'd be like the most horrifying thing ever to run over like a baby duck. Can you imagine how traumatic that would be? That would just not be nice at all. I, I would I would really hate to do that. I'd rather hit a deer than uh, or something. I, I don't want to hit anything ever, but running over baby ducks would just make me feel bad for the rest of my life. <laughs> Even though you can't help but giggle a little bit when you say it. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. It's because they would just squish right under the tires. Yeah, it was just nasty, nasty. And that nasty just stuff. wouldn't be nice at all. I hit a raccoon with my car once. Did you? And I felt kind of bad about that, even though everyone hates raccoons. Right. But this stupid idiot raccoon was running across the on-ramp to the freeway, the highway. Yeah, don't don't feel bad about hitting raccoons. And it was nighttime, and he just came right out of the blackness, right into my headlight, and 
my options were swerve off the road, which I don't think would have been a smart idea, or run him over. And that poor little guy never never knew what hit him. You're not supposed to swerve. I know. You're, you're, yeah, you're supposed to you're supposed to hit the animal because uh, swerving puts more people in danger. Right. You might roll the car. At the very least, you'll end up in the ditch. Yeah. You know. Into uh, oncoming traffic. Oncoming traffic, exactly. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I still felt bad, though, for, for hitting that raccoon. But there was nothing I could do. But you're right. Hitting a baby duck would not be nice at all. Yeah. So I'd slow right down for that sign. And you know what? You know what? In... In Canada, we have a lot of funny signs like that, too. Once you get out of the city, I mean, we've got watch for moose signs, deer, yep. all that kind of stuff. And well, sure you don't want to hit a moose either, but for very different reasons. Oh, you don't survive that if you're going any speed at all. I mean, yeah. moose are like, you might as well just hit a, a tree. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, they have really, I don't know if you know this about moose. Well, I know you do, but maybe some of our listeners don't know this about moose in Canada, is that they have very long legs. Like they're very lanky and they're uh, mainly they wander around in swamps and water and stuff and eat the eat the plants there. So they can't. So they have these really long spindly legs. And if you hit a moose with a car, <clears throat> you basically you hit the legs and the moose falls over into the cab of the car. And that's like a ton of meat coming into your car <laughs> for a visit at eighty miles an hour. And yeah. that's just not good. Yeah, it's not like hitting a cow. Where you don't end up under the cow, you end up through the windshield if you're going fast enough. But yeah. uh, you're right; you end up sort of going under the moose, and the moose lands on top of the car. Yeah, just bad. Yeah, that's our segment this week in Roadkill, everyone. <laughs> this week in Roadkill. Yep. Our next email comes from Mike in Red Hook, New York. Now that's Dutchess County, Red Hook, not Red Hook in Brooklyn. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Right. His words. Uh, Mike says, I love how Rick totally slammed the bathroom door shut as one of the guys came up the stairs, and the guy didn't react at all to the door being slammed shut like 20 feet from him. I don't know how he lasted this long in the apocalypse if a shutting door doesn't startle him. Then also when Rick and Toilet Dude started wrestling, they knocked all sorts of crap off the counter in the bathroom and kept banging banging against the door and wall, and yet no one picked up picked up on these sounds. Seems a little weird that earlier you could easily hear the guy bouncing his ball off the wall all through the house, but a Thunderdome-style fight in the bathroom would not be heard. Okay, so I was going to actually bring this up during the uh, the recap, but uh, I think we got distracted around the time that I was going to bring it up. But uh, I, I agree, there's a lot of noise in that fight, and uh, it maybe would have uh, brought some attention to that, uh, to that fight from other people, but I have two things to say about this. One is if you were, you know, on the main floor of your house and somebody was having an, uh, you know, a, a big all-out brawl in your bathroom on the second floor, uh, you'd probably hear it, right? I would think so. Yeah, and I think so too. Uh, so yes, I, I agree with Mike in that regard. But in the other regard, if this group of wild dogs usually fights over, you know, the biggest bed in the house. There's probably lots of scuffles between the, these uh, the between individuals in this group. So hearing uh, you know an, a banging around and people being thrown around and arguing and screaming and you know all that kind of stuff is probably just normal noises for this group, and it's nothing to get alarmed about. That's a really good point. We heard them beat up a guy or maybe kill a guy 
downstairs as Rick was waking up. Yeah. Then one of them came upstairs and f- and choked a dude out for a bed. And you're right. I mean, if that's day-to-day life, sort of a little dust-up in the bathroom isn't going to raise any alarm bells, I wouldn't think. You know, probably 20 minutes earlier, two guys were in another house uh, upstairs in the bathroom having this same kind of fight because they wanted to be the first guys to poop in the toilet because uh, there's no flushing anymore, right? So the, f- the first guy who gets to poop in the toilet gets the nice clean toilet and the other guy has to... Oh, my God. So there's probably this kind of fight all the time Yeah, for bathroom privileges. That's right. <laughs> um, you always want to be the first guy to use the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> That's terrible um now let me i just want to run through quickly how many guys do you think there are in the wild dogs so we've got the guy who's choked out on the floor tony we've got tennis ball guy played by jeff cober we've got the uh fat guy that uh rick killed in the bathroom that's three and we've got one more who i think is the guy that rick slams the door uh, right in front of, who doesn't react. Are there any more? Do do we have any indication of how many there actually are in this group? I counted at least four, plus a guy that was uh, begging for his life. Right, so he might be dead or unconscious anyways. Or not a, not part of the group. Or, yeah, maybe they just pulled him in off the road and beat him up. Yeah, so we know of four. So we know of four. And so one of them is tennis ball guy. Where was he at the time... Rick was fighting in the bathroom. Was he already downstairs? Was uh, he already? He was ar- maybe. I don't think he was already outside on the porch because he, no, he wasn't on the porch. He came out on the porch as Rick got there, right? Right. And um, Tony was unconscious, so he wouldn't have heard the fight. And uh, the guy lying in the bed. Who was asleep in the bed? Is that a fifth guy or a fourth guy? That's the fourth guy, I think. Okay. That's so the four I counted. So there's two guys fighting over the bed. Yeah. One guy in the bathroom, yeah. tennis ball guy. And tennis ball guy. Those are the four I counted. Okay. So tennis ball guy downstairs, maybe heard the noise but didn't care about it. One guy unconscious on the floor, one guy asleep, and one guy in the bathroom who Rick is killing. So really, there's not many, and isn't there's one more guy, the guy that was outside in the hall when Rick slammed the door. So maybe that's the fifth guy. Yeah, so that's a maybe fifth. Okay, so he's the one guy who you'd think would maybe pick up on the sound, but otherwise, I think the other guys were all either unconscious or preoccupied, which is lucky for Rick. Right. Anyways, I'm just just trying to figure out the scenario. It's 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 hard to keep track of when you don't really. You know they're there, but you don't see what they're doing, so. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll figure it out later on because uh, these guys are all coming back. Yep, that's right. All right, so we have an email from Paul in Ellesmere Port in the UK. I really like this episode, and the relationship that Carl and Michonne have is great to watch. I've never seen Michonne smile as much or act as non-badass as any other character, even Andrea. Uh, The way the story slowly started to bring out the detail about Michonne's son was well done, and when she said that that he wasn't really a secret was so powerful. I took it to mean if somebody had taken the time to ask her about her life before the zombie apocalypse, she may have been willing to talk about it earlier. Okay, I can can see that, but Michonne was so reserved and, and untrusting of anyone for so long. 
and not incredibly approachable either. No, kind of frightening, <laughs> a little right. bit scary. So I'm not sure that even if someone had had the guts to ask her about it, you know, would she have come forth? I mean, she traveled with Andrea for eight months or something like that. Yep. And that they never talked about it that we know of. Andrea even well, they said, might have. no, in Woodbury, Andrea confronted her and said, you know, I've told you all about myself, but I know nothing about you. Oh. So I think, you know, I think this is a pretty new development for Michonne's character. And, I, and I'm not sure that, you know, going back, she was really all that forthcoming. Um, the whole it wasn't a secret line is just that, no, it's not a secret, but I've never really felt comfortable talking about it. Or maybe she just meant, well, it's not a secret anymore. Like, I'm here to right. stay. I'm going to open up. Well, there's things that are secrets that you actively try and not tell people. And there's just stuff that uh, you just have no interest in saying until the time is right. Yeah, exactly. So it's not really technically a secret. It's not like, don't tell anybody, but I used to have a son. You know, it's just more of the, I don't feel like telling anybody, and nobody's bothered to ask because if they ask me any questions, they punch them in the face. Yeah, I and mean... And then they stop asking questions. <laughs> Some things are just not appropriate for the current conversation. They're not secrets. Right. They're just not appropriate. Right. All right, we've got a call from Jill in Covington, Kentucky. Hi, guys. I just wanted to record a little response to your discussion about Michonne's supposed character change in uh, the last episode of The Walking Dead. Um, I didn't look at it that way. I saw it as, have you ever kind of faked a good mood to cheer somebody else up? Have you ever kind of just been cheerful for someone else's behalf when you didn't really feel it yourself, but you're trying to make them feel better? I kind of saw that with Michonne and Carl, and I think that she was really trying to cheer him up, and she saw how upset he got about Judith earlier and the remark that he made by accident and I think she just really was trying to get a smile out of him and trying to lift his spirits a little bit. I don't really see that as a permanent character change that she would do with everybody else. I think it was just this special bond she has with Carl that she's trying to kind of bring him out of his shell and out of his uh, teenage angst as we're all aware of recently. So that's just my opinion. Take it or leave it. But thanks, guys. Love the show. Thanks, Jill. Thanks, what do you Jill. think about that, Jay? <sighs> I think she. Uh, I think. It, I think. I think it's good. Yeah, I. I can see this, especially when kids are involved. Now, Carl's a teenager, right? But yeah, you know, I've been on long flights with my kids, and they're starting to get grumpy, and I don't want to be there anymore. I don't like being on a plane for eight hours. But sometimes, as the, as the grown up. As the adult, as the guy in charge, you got to put on a brave face and try to entertain the children and uh, you know cheer them up a little bit. Yeah. So the 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 concept of sort of just trying to cheer someone else up by doing it yourself is not unheard of for me anyway. That uh, that's very true. Um, I mean, yeah, we've all done that, right? Like taking one for the team, being uh, doing something you don't want to do to, for the betterment of the group, for sure. Yeah, for sure. And and I think Jill is right, too, about Michonne is developing a bond with Carl. I mean, she had a son. She lost her son. Carl is older, but still, you know, a boy and uh, in many ways. So she's she's trying to reconnect with sort of that son figure. You know what I mean? Yep. And it's kind of working for her. Right. 
All right, so we have an email from Maria in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Uh, Maria is disputing a claim of Michonne's character being a bit abrupt. Earlier in the season, we see her returning on horseback, talking to Carl about M&Ms in comic books, and she's smiling and very happy there. Then later, we see her smiling and quipping about Daryl giving her fleas, and we see small changes like this in the front half of the season that are evidence of her coming out of her shell. Uh, in the dream sequence, we see her very. We see a very bubbly Michonne, and though we shouldn't take everything literally from a dream, I think it supports the idea that when her son was alive, and certainly pre-apocalypse, she was much happier, uh, much happier outgoing person. When she kills her doppelganger Walker and makes a conscious decision to live and not take breaks, as she later puts it, that is clearly another step. I think finding Rick and especially Carl, who she seems to, seems most bonded with of all the survivors, brought so much joy to her because for all she knew they were dead. Having that second chance to be there in the moment with Carl, she decides to take advantage of it, live life to the fullest, and be there for him as she would have wanted to be there for her son. Touche, Maria. I think yeah. she's kind of saying what we just sort of talked about after Jill's call, but the bits about Michonne having other character moments, um, you know, not to this degree of happiness, but at least showing her happy, joking around, you know, getting fleas from Daryl, that kind of stuff. Those do definitely exist in the show. And so maybe this, this change wasn't quite as abrupt as, or jarring as I, as I took it for most people. And the other thing about that is, you know, maybe it was just that she was so heavily in involved in this episode and had, even in the first one after the break, she was in that a lot, but she was by herself the whole time, right? She right. didn't talk. She was just walking. You could see what, you know, what she was thinking, but she wasn't, she wasn't speaking to anyone. Now she's all out there having full-on conversations, joking around even more. So I think maybe that's why it felt a little abrupt and jarring to me. But Maria is absolutely right. They have shown her, you know, having these moments already, especially this season anyway. Well, there you go. Thank you, Maria, for opening my eyes (laughs) and reminding me of what I'd forgotten. Yeah. Uh, Our next email comes from Migdalia in Los Angeles, California. The bodies that Michonne found in the little girl's room, why aren't they zombies? I noticed one gunshot to the head on the poor girl in the chair... But the other children and the parents, I didn't see such evidence. So I went back and checked. Mm-hmm. And the the bodies in the beds did have a lot of blood around their heads and on the pillows. And so I think the person in the chair is the one uh, who killed everybody else with maybe knife wounds to the head or or something like that. Right. Placed them all on those beds. And then they clearly showed us a uh, gunshot wound to the head of the person in the chair. So right. I think that person killed them all, set them up on the beds, put the Super Dinosaur comic book there, then sat in the chair and st- stuck a gun in their mouth and ended it. Right. So it's basically a, uh, what's it called? It's called a family, when you kill your entire family and then kill yourself? Murder-suicide? Yeah, there's a term for it, though. There's uh, I forget what the term is, but uh, I think it's one of those situations where 
uh, you know, the world has gone to shit and uh, I'm sick of it and I'm going to kill my whole family and then myself. There's a... For their own good. There's a word for that? There, there was a term for it, yeah. Like uh, the, the type of, uh, the, it's a type of person, like a type of psychosis that uh, caused them to kill their whole family and then themselves. Yeah, sounds terrible. Family annihilator or something like that. Oh. <laughs> Mass family aside. <laughs> That's right. I don't know. Famicide. Yeah. Um, anyways, uh, going back and looking at it, I think all those people did have wounds to the head, purposefully done ones. There was a lot of blood on the bed and the pillows around them, so they obviously bled out of their head. And the one in the chair had the gunshot wound, and it would make sense that, well, makes sense. <laughs> in the loosest term, uh, in the loosest meaning of the term, that they then sat down on the chair and shot their own brain out. So right. that seems to be what happened, if you ask me. Yeah, it seems like it. All right, so we have an email from Dave in Coventry, UK. You mentioned Michonne's rapid character change, but never mentioned Tara's newfound confidence. She failed to fire off a single shot during the prison siege. Then Glenn found her cowering behind a fence, uh, but on track with the warriors there. Uh, she was she was there popping off zombies with her rifle. Uh, point taken, but attacking the prison was against living people, <laughs> not zombies. I think that's a big difference for Tara. Right. Um what Dave is trying to say is that she she was so timid during the attack on the prison and wouldn't even fire a shot, and then she was hiding in the prison. Um, but as soon as everyone showed up on the road, she was all out there in their face, and uh, you know she was killing zombies left, right, and center. Right. So uh, she was all timid and grew a set in you know half a day. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, she's coming around. That's good. Matt in New Jersey writes, I agree with Jason on something this week. Hooray. Uh, sorry. I agreed with Jason on something last week. Oh. But I will disagree with something here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when Michonne and Carl go to the house, Michonne knocks on the window multiple times. The same tactic Daryl used at the big stop. When they enter the house, she goes in first, hand on sword. As soon as Carl gets in, he drops the bags and pulls out his gun. Not as reckless as Jason had thought. I'm willing to concede just a little bit. Still, they went through that door with a, you know, encumbered with a bunch of crap. They did. And I I wouldn't have done that. But then again, I don't I don't know. I'm not uh, I'm not the professional that Michonne and Carl are at this point. Yeah, that is true. Um, I agree with you. I think if you're going to go into an unknown house like that. Don't have giant bags all over your shoulders because you just can't. You don't have the mobility that you might need. Um, but at least they, you know, she was banging on the door, and that's something we didn't mention last time to try and draw zombies to the door. So the fact that she did that and none came, I guess they felt like they were a little bit safer going in because maybe the house is empty. Right. Okay, so we have uh, an email from Randy in Fawn Township in Pennsylvania. Is there any chance this scene was really in the future and Glenn really did die? It seems like a long shot, but the timeline of various groups, Rick Michonne, Daryl Beth, Tyrese Carroll, etc., have not totally cleared up. I think it would be cool if we didn't see Maggie back on the bus until the final, uh, the season finale, where it was finally revealed that it was Walker Glenn who she killed. And at this time, the show was showing Glenn in the past 
working his way back to the bus. It could be sort of a twisted Romeo and Juliet tragedy that would catch everyone off guard. What do you think? So, I think this is a crazy idea, and I'm, I don't think we're going to go this way, but it would be sort of cool. So the scene he's talking about, of course, is when Maggie gets to the bus, she goes in, they clear out the walkers, and then there's the one in there that kind of looks like Glenn lying face down. Right. And then he gets up, and she has to stab him in the head, and then she sits down and breaks down in, into tears. So Randy's theory here is maybe that really was Glenn, and we haven't seen Maggie since then. Right. So if that is kind of in the future a little bit, um, what we're seeing with Glenn now is his story happening leading up to that point. You know what? I kind of think that this would be cool, and this is right now possible. Yeah, it's sort of possible, and I do think it would be cool. And the thing is, I don't know if that zombie looked enough like Glenn. Now, to be fair, we only saw the zombie from the back. They they actually didn't show us that zombie's face. They showed they focused sort of over the shoulder of the zombie and back a little bit when Maggie was killing him and then he slumps to the floor and you never see him. Right. Uh so maybe we have already seen Glenn's death on screen and we just don't know it yet. Yeah, I think uh I think everything there's nothing in the episodes, the last few episodes, that can possibly disprove this theory, in my opinion. That is true. Do I think they're actually going for this? Uh, not really. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. However, it would be fairly shocking. I would be shocked. Absolutely. But now I see it coming, so now I wouldn't be shocked. I would have been shocked if, if this happened and, uh, and Randy didn't uh, point this out to us. Thanks, Randy. <laughs> if this comes true and this actually happens, I think we should send Randy a present. Uh, okay. I'll let you decide what. All right. Our next email, our next two emails come from Chris in the UK. And, uh, or maybe they're from the same email, but they were both awesome, so I had to put them in. So Chris writes, I smiled at Jason's reservations uh, here because he was very consistent with previous concerns. And he's talking about your, uh, uh, your, Comments about the bed, I think. Well, yeah, right, the creaky bed. Yeah. Chris says, There is a conflict sometimes between realism and what needs to be there to sell concepts to the casual viewer. I seem to remember that Jason has a particular disdain for the slicing noise when a knife is seen or the noise of a hammer cocking even if a gun doesn't have one. That shit drives me crazy. <laughs> sometimes in TV or movies, there are deliberate choices to dump perfect realism in favor of what you might call hyper-realism. Loud explosions in space is another obvious example. The gamble taken is that fewer people will pick up on the unreality than would be jarred by realism, which is counter to expectations. In TV and movies, every time someone takes a, a, a firearm and moves it up to aim it at somebody, you hear it cock. Drives me nuts. <laughs> I hate that. And explosions in space drive me nuts too. That was the thing that got me on board with Firefly when it first came out. When it, as soon as as soon as they left the atmosphere, the first episode that they aired, which is the one I watched, is actually the the second episode in the series. They aired that one first for some unknown reason. But when they left the uh, left the atmosphere, all the sound went away. There was mm -hmm. no noise in space, and I was like, "Yep, this is my show. I'm watching this forever." <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, and then, the, then there was only six episodes, and they canceled the friggin' thing. Yeah, but there was twelve made, right? I know. I've seen them all since then, but they only aired like six or seven of them. I'm on board. I loved Firefly too. Um, I still watch stuff with uh, Nathan Fillion because of Firefly. Yep, me too. That show made his career so far. And the opening shot in Serenity is is the perfect example of that, which is, of course, the movie version of Firefly, where you see right. the ship floating through space, and then they suddenly enter atmosphere, and there's oh. a big bang, and it starts making noise. It's loud. It's one of my favorite like spaceship shots of all time. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. It really is. Yeah. Uh, okay, right. so uh, I see your point there, Chris. Uh, the hyper-realism, you have to do these things, like when the Dukes of Hazard used to drive on dirt roads and you hear tires squealing. It's just the thing you do sometimes. Yeah, I still, you still hear that, tires squealing on gravel roads and dirt roads. That drives me crazy for some reason. Yeah. Because it's just so, so dumb. <laughs> maybe they put it in there to uh, make people like us a little more entertained because we are... We do get entertainment out of yelling at the TV, right? Well, <laughs> when you see that kind of stuff on your TV, it's it's gives it gives you a rise. It's like watching a sports a sports event of some kind. You get excited about it and you yell at the TV and you know whether it's good or bad, it's it's entertaining at the least. Yeah, I think I've given up on it though. You just it's it doesn't even get to me anymore because it's so commonplace. And the thing about gravel roads is they're they're noisy enough. Why not use gravel road noise? Why do you have to use rubber on pavement noise? Because you have producers going into the editing room and going, okay, we need to put this noise in there, put that noise in there, and the editor's probably all getting pissed off because it's crazy. And then you have Foley artists that are going, what are you, nuts? I'm not going to put that noise on top of that thing. That's that's ridiculous. And then the producer comes, you know, you're getting paid to do a job that I'm telling you to do. You put that Foley noise on there, uh, or I'll find someone who will. (laughs) Right. You make those tires squeal. (laughs) Or I'll find someone who will. <laughs> but it's grass and it's raining. I don't care. It's got, they got to squeal. <laughs> That's right. All right. Do you want to read Chris's next email too? Yeah, I'll read All the right. next one. So we have an email from Chris in the UK. Funny. Uh, okay. So it's the same Chris. A common complaint about this episode, and you did touch on it in yours, is the, dismiss- dis- the dismissive term filler. Now, don't get me wrong, season three had filler episodes, by which I mean an episode it is really there because there has to be 16 episodes in a season. I don't think that it's fair. That's, it's a fair complaint about these latest three episodes. Uh, I wouldn't make, it wouldn't make sense to, give everyone, to get everyone back together this quickly. The whole way that the mid-season finale finished guaranteed that we would have a bunch of episodes like this one. It certainly beats this. Okay, you ready? Episode 9, cold open, focus on welcome to Terminus, pull back to reveal Carol, Rick, Carl, Beth, Daryl, Maggie, Glenn, Tyrese, Lizzie, Mika, Sasha, Bob, and Michonne are standing in an informal circle. Rick, well, that was a tough six months, but we're all together again now. Everyone smiles. I I suspect that it's the same people who scream filler would also call foul on this one. Right, and I absolutely agree. And I believe it was me who said this episode had a little bit of filler. Um, And to me, you know, maybe filler is not the right word, but it did have sections that were designed strictly to push our characters forward. And somewhat random things like people invading the house that Rick was sleeping in. I'm not saying that couldn't happen. But it's just one of those things. It's never sort of happened before. You've never seen any people around, not recently anyways. And all of a sudden, there's these wild dogs in the house, 
And it's really just done to get him out and get him going. And it made me think, well, you know, they needed these characters to move forward somehow. But in reality, why wouldn't they just stay in this house for a while and be safe? But that's right. boring on TV. Yeah. You know, I have a I have a, a love hate relationship with the term filler as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, if uh, if this if the episode was really really good, it doesn't matter what happened, we wouldn't call it filler, right? That's true. So, I mean, I'm trying to think of a single episode of Breaking Bad that I would consider filler, or even Mad Men. Uh, if you think of Mad Mad Men, is a very slow burn kind of show. It's very there's, there's whole episodes where nothing really happens. They sit around, they talk about uh, advertising, they smoke a couple of cigarettes, they drink a bottle of gin. Uh, <laughs> you know, something ha- nothing really happens in those episodes, but they're still really good. Yep. And I wouldn't call them filler. Like we don't need to have con- think of them as contrived circumstances to move the characters forward. So I think that the fact that you're using the term filler kind of says something in itself. Well, I think that the problem I have here is that I, I, I identify this episode as one in which it's hard to explain. I, I mean, filler, like I said, is not the right word. I loved all the Rick stuff. I loved the Rick things. I think it was tense. I think it was uh, unique. It was sort of had a horror movie feel to it, like a home invasion type thing. And I thought it was really good, and I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. But the purpose that it was there is is obvious to me, or is blatant. And right. that's sort of what I'm trying to get at, right? There wasn't anything, it wasn't really telling us anything about the story that The Walking Dead is trying to, to portray. It was, it, was, it was set up to get the characters moving so they could do that later. And and again, filler, not the right word, but setup maybe, and, or something like that. And and as I said, having said all that, I really enjoyed that part of the episode more so than the other half that we saw, or the other third that we saw with Michonne and Carl. To be honest with you, right? And and definitely more so than the uh, cartoon section with with Abraham and his crew, right? So uh, let's move on, Brent. In Arkansas writes, in my opinion, as a mental health professional, Eugene has behaviors similar to those of someone in the autistic spectrum. A simplistic description is someone who comes across as literal and selfish due to a lack of ability to connect with others and to understand emotions. Think Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. On a side note, Eugene's difficulty operating the gun is similar to Sheldon's inability to drive a car. Can you explain that to me, not being a Big Bang watcher? Well, Sheldon is uh, definitely on the autistic spectrum. And the first thing I said when uh, when she said that uh, Eugene's behavior is similar to those of someone in the autistic spectrum, the first thing I thought of was Sheldon from the Big Bang Theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just there's too many fuzzy aspects to driving a car that uh, that would make it make it impossible, not impossible, but hard, difficult for someone who is very literal-minded. Uh, for example, when Sheldon was going to get his driver's license, uh, one of the questions was, how far behind the car in front of you should you go? And the correct answer was two car lengths. And that he couldn't handle that because they couldn't get them to define which car they were talking about. 
Right. Like what? Who? What car? Like which, the cars have all kinds of lengths. You need to define this in meters, not in car lengths. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a whole argument. It's just those kinds of things. It, there's too much fuzziness around uh, the concept of driving a car that would uh, allow Sheldon to be able to do it easily. I agree with that. However, my brain does not outright reject the car length as a unit of measurement. No, car length makes perfect sense. And it's it. The thing is, it's a fuzzy thing. It's not a literal, yeah. uh, you know, a distance. Stay back ten meters is a very specific thing and can be understood by someone like Sheldon. And uh, but two car lengths, it's just like it's just a general kind of thing. You should be able to generally fit two cars between me and that guy in front of me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Brent continues, and he says, as far as how Eugene Abraham and Rosita are dressed. Spend some time in the South during the summer, and you will understand why Rosita would be dressed that way. An average Arkansas day in July-August is 90-plus degrees with a 90-plus percent humidity. I know George's climate is very similar since my father lived there for many years. I can also think of multiple men who dress as Abraham did. Camouflage isn't just to wear when hunting or in the Army. <laughs> right. So I guess he's saying his... his uh, uh, clothing choices are a form of camouflage. Right. <laughs> so, Rosita, do you think she has also noticed that uh, all of the uh, zombies have long sleeves and sh- this is her way of not becoming a zombie? Maybe it's her way of indicating to others that she's not a zombie. Yeah. You know, I can't become a zombie because I don't have long sleeves. I have short sleeves, short shorts, midriff exposed. I'm never being a zombie. Hip pistols. Hip pistols and boots. I mean, if if exposing what? skin protects you in some crazy universe, she should be stripping down before we know it. Put her hair in a ponytail and start doing backflips. That's right. That'd be awesome. All right. All right, so we have uh, an email from Lori on the internet. I do not read the comics, but I think that Abraham, Rosita, and Eugene were ridiculous or caricatures. Uh, but they did add a degree of fun to the episode. It's nice to see a range of characters in The Walking Dead, not just people who can be pigeonholed as either good or evil. I think you said, I I did think Abraham, Rosie, and Eugenia were ridiculous, but she wrote, I didn't think they were ridiculous or caricatures. Well, I totally turned that around. Yeah, um, but she does agree, um, but they did add a degree of fun to the episode. So, uh, yeah, we said that they're goofy and, and that's it. But uh, Lori's disagreeing with us. Now, you know, some things work in the comic book medium, and some things work in the television medium. And some things, and and they don't always cross over. Right. And I think that's kind of how I was feeling a little bit here with these three, where they work just fine in a comic book because of the visual, well, I don't know what it is exactly, but for some reason they just do. Maybe it's my preconception about comic books right um but for me that didn't work as well on screen now i have full faith that down the road somewhere i'm gonna be totally loving these three characters in the show i hope and i think they're gonna do really cool stuff with them we never know where it's gonna go but we'll see but the way they were introduced and a little bit of the uh conversation and the sort of over-the-top confidence that abraham had they seemed a little, I don't know, they just seemed a little thin and narrow to me. But again, I don't know them yet, so we'll have to see where they go. Right. Well, I apologize for getting that completely ass backwards. <laughs> Back ass words, man. Right. 
All right, our last email of the night comes from Paul in Bakersfield. Now, this is spoilery for the comic, definitely spoilery for the comic, and I'm going to say right now, I am almost 100% sure this is going to spoil something from the TV show, even though we don't know what how things are going to play out yet. Right. So the TV show spoiler is an assumption, but it's definitely a spoiler from the comic. So if you don't want to hear these, please move ahead now. But Paul says, if you've read the comic books, you know that Mullet McGee is full of crap. That's <laughs> Eugene, of course. Yeah. <laughs> he is a high school science teacher or something. In the comic book, Rick's group had no way to refute his story. But in the TV show, they went to the CDC. If the guy starts making up shit, Rick and Glenn have more knowledge about the disease than your average survivor. I'd love for Mullet to say something, and Rick just calls bullshit on him. So what Paul is referring to is the fact that uh, Eugene, ha although he says he's been talking on the satellite phone to Washington, he, in fact, has not. And that is revealed in the comic, you know, uh, yep. at some point. And uh, their whole mission to Washington was a big scam. And the reason I say this is most likely spoilery for the show, I'd be really surprised if they didn't go this route in the show, too. Because the alternative is that he actually has been talking to <laughs> Muckety Mucks in Washington, and he right. actually does know something about how this all started and how to maybe solve it. And they're just right. not going to do that. Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think that uh, that's exactly the way this this has to go. Look look at his hair, man. He can't be telling the truth. <laughs> no scientist has a mullet like that. <laughs> yeah, you can't have yeah you can't have hair like that and uh, be believable. Right. Well, I'm sorry if that offends anybody. <laughs> it may. It may. I don't know. I haven't had a mullet for a long time. You should grow one. They're coming back, my friend. I'm telling you. I don't know. Mullets well, and fedoras. I saw on the internet uh, someone made a meme with Eugene, and it said, science in the front, party in the back. Nice. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I don't know if this is a U.S. thing, too, but in Canada, we used to call mullets hockey hair. Hockey hair. Right? Because in the 80s, a lot of the hockey players had this hairstyle. A guy like Yarmir Yager, who came over from the Czech Republic, started in the NHL with a serious mullet, too. Well... It, mullets make sense for hockey. Explain. Okay, so in hockey, you wear a helmet, right? That's true. And you want to have the long flowing hair coming out the back of your helmet so that you can attract the ladies. Because, uh, you know, playing <laughs> hockey, one of the things you get out of playing hockey is you get to attract the, the hockey ladies. Yes, you do. And so you want the long, beautiful flowing hair so that when you're wearing your helmet and you're skating around the ice and you're being all, uh, you know, athletic and... And, and such, all the ladies kind of swoon and go, oh, he's got long, lovely hair. But if you had a full head of long, lovely hair, that hair would also fall down in front of the helmet and obscure your vision, hampering, hampering your ability to play hockey. So you need the short hair in the front so that it doesn't get in your eyes under the helmet because, first of all, you got gloves on. Second of all, you're holding a stick and using it, so you can't, you know, move the hair out of your eyes. You've got a face guard on. You can't get at your head. You can't, like, just kind of flick your hair like you've got these long flowing locks and no hat on. <laughs> right. So it really doesn't make a lot of sense. So you've got to cut it short in the front. It's all business in the front, but it's party in the back. For a guy that doesn't even know what <laughs> icing is, you seem to have thought a lot about hockey hair. 
<laughs> it just makes perfect sense to me is all. That's right. Okay. And I grew up in the Sioux, and hockey hair was a thing for a, a lot of people. Uh, you know, I grew up in the city, and here too. Maybe not yeah. quite as long as in the small town you're from, but uh, it was a thing. It's yeah. definitely a thing. Uh, but Mullet McGee, as Paul calls him, is indeed full of crap. So and it's a, yeah. we'll see where that goes in the show. Yeah. If if you don't play hockey, you got no business with a mullet, in my opinion. If you play hockey, you can have a mullet, because it makes sense. Okay, makes sense. What about other sports wearing with helmets, like baseball? They wear helmets when they're at bat. Oh, but they take the they take the helmets off and put them on. Football? You know, uh, football. Maybe. That one's tricky. That one's tricky. The helmets are pretty darn big in football, and you could probably put probably put your hair in a bun if you really needed to. But then you wouldn't be flowing <laughs> out. If okay, football, I'll grant you a I'll grant you a mullet. What about rat tails? Are rat tails appropriate anywhere? Rat tails are not appropriate for anyone. Never. Not okay. <laughs> They're just wrong. That's right. Uh okay. Well Cornrows, yeah. But oh. a single rat tail, no. Cornrows are awesome. Yeah. If I could cornrows grow some are of fine. those, I would. Uh, all righty. Well, Jason, I think that is going to do it. That is everything for this episode. Cool. Of feedback. Thank you, everyone, for sending in your emails, calls, and such and such. We'll be back on Monday after the next episode of The Walking Dead. And after that, I mean, we're going to do feedback show, and then things are going to get a little bit weird for a while. I have some traveling to do, and I may be not at home. So I will have to take the Talking Dead mobile studio with me right. so that we don't miss a podcast. Okay. And uh, But if, if something comes out at a weird time or something like that, please keep your eye on the site and the feed, and everything should be coming at you just... Uh, you know, hopefully on schedule, but you never know what might happen. Cool. One of the places I'm going to be is Chicago for Walker Stalker Con, Chicago. The Windy Apple. No, it's the Windy City. <laughs> That's right. The big Windy Apple. <laughs> Do you know why they call it the Windy City? Is it windy? No. Tell me then. It's because all of the politicians are so full of wind. <laughs> why do they call New York the Big Apple then? I don't. I, that I don't know. Why do they call Toronto Hogtown? That, I don't know. You know what? They also... No, do they call... Yeah, and they call it Muddy York, too, don't they? It's because way back in the early days, none of the streets were paved, and it was always muddy. Muddy? Like, New York is Muddy York? No, or no, Toronto no, no. Is Toronto. Muddy York? Toronto yeah, was Well, it used York. to be called York, right? It's, yes. The original city name was York. True. So that's why it's Muddy York. Yeah, and before we had paved roads, like a long time ago, it was always muddy. That's right. Um, right. But it was referring to York and... and uh, in the old country, and not you know, it's not like the muddy version of New York. It's the muddy version of York, and then they have this new fangled York down uh, right down south of York, <laughs> of muddy York. Do you, where does Hogtown come from? Because I've heard that, this Toronto called this city called that too. That I don't know. Interesting. Why is Toronto called Hog? No. <laughs> Hogtown. That's a lot to search for. I feel like we could do a whole show on city nicknames. Can you name any more? No. What's the nickname for... The City of Bro Brotherly Love. That's uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia. What's the nickname? Uh, Hamilton, which is practically a suburb of Toronto, is the Hammer. Well, I don't know. Does, is, is it generally called the Hammer, or is it just me that calls it the Hammer? No, it's... Well, I don't... It may be derogatory, but I think it is generally known as the Hammer. 
Right. Okay, so uh, Hogtown, related to the livestock that was processed in Toronto, largely by the city's largest pork processor and packer, the William Davies Company. Okay, there you go. Hogtown it is. Yeah. Well, now that we've gone through all the uh, city nicknames that we can think of, I think it's time to end the podcast. We really should. We really should. Uh, Let us know what your city is known as. That'd be fun. That that would be fun. And um, make sure you uh, give us a call when you want to at 1-866-483-ZOMB. That's 9662. Or go to the website and click on Leave Voicemail. Uh, Those sound pretty good, and I enjoy getting them. You can also find us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. Finally, as always, send your emails to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Please don't forget to record your favorite scene on your phone or the phone line or whatever. Send it in to us. You'll hear yourself on the air, very likely. And uh, before you do all your shopping, visit amazon.talkingdeadpodcast.com to help support us, and uh, we will be very, very much appreciative. And on that note, we will finally end. Thank you. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Bye.